Hey Trinity Life, I have loved this series. I hope it's been forming you and shaping you. We're in our Revive series. It's our last installment of it, our fourth installment of it, where we're gonna finish out Psalm 51. We've been going through our DNA, Kingdom Disciples Society Church, Kingdom Disciples Engaging Society, and out of that arises the church. And I've been telling you that a certain type of church arises, it looks a certain way, I should say. And, and, uh, and we're going to talk about that today. And, but I just want to, want to uh, say that as we've gone through this series, hopefully your understanding of repentance has shifted. Right? We, we try to give you a new definition back, back in uh, the second installment. In the first installment, we talked about a new tone for repentance. Last, last week, we talked about uh, new word association, re- repentance. When I say repentance, you say, again, it should be revival. <laughs> and repentance produces revival. And that's been our whole main idea for, for uh, this series. Uh, because... Uh, repentance, <clears throat> like I said last time, and I was talking to Daniel, and he was he was affirming this uh, in his own walk with the Lord. Uh, a lot of us, when we first became Christians, we were trying to understand repentance, and we understood it in kind of a, an anemic way, right? A, a, a way where it was like, oh, I need to seek forgiveness from God, and I need to atone for my sin, and and in doing so. We're saying, no, we atone for it, not you, Jesus. But God's saying, I've already atoned for it. If you're in me, it's been atoned for. What was like scarlet, what was like crimson is now white. I remember that imagery of the snow that Missy had. And, and so what, what used to be red is now white. And, and I've atoned for it. All right, so you don't have to atone for it. You don't even have to feel... Um, like you don't have to sit in the in the muck and the mire of it. You're a child of light, and and so often that anemic understanding of repentance causes us to stay in our sin. And the key is, as David's been showing us here in the psalm, is not to focus on your sin, but to focus on your Savior. It's like we did last time and said, God, thank you, thank you that, wow, your love is so great. Thank you that your mercy and your compassion are so abundant. Thank you that I have joy and gladness because you are restoring me. You are healing me. You are making me more like Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness that you've already given me. And, and so that's the tone of repentance. That's the definition of repentance, this holistic healing of repentance that we want to take into this last, uh, the last two verses here. So it says here in verse 18, David says, Do good to Zion. Zion is... Uh, Zion is Jerusalem. It's where the temple was. It's where God's dwelling place was. It's where God's people gathered to worship, right? That's, that's Zion. So hence the church, right? In, in Isaiah chapter 2, we get a picture of the people of God walking up the hill, up the mountain to Zion to worship that they may learn from the ways of the Lord. And then they may go out to teach his way. So there's up in and out in those passages. And it's a, it's a picture of the church in the Old Testament. And so we have that here. And David says, do good to Zion. And this is also an allusion to the work of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah, um, after the exile. So this is after David. Even though the book of Nehemiah is before the psalm. <laughs> it's historically after David. 
chronologically after King David, because there's an exile where the land was ravaged, where the people of God were exiled from, from the land and taken into captivity. And during that time, the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem were torn down and destroyed. So the security, peace, comfort was gone, and they're, they're in exile. And then Nehemiah, Nehemiah is, is fueled by repentance because Nehemiah has everything he needs. He's, he's in the king's court. He's one of the king's trusted people. He's, he's part of the king's um, close staff. He has everything he needs and, and probably a lot of what he wants uh, there in exile. But he begins to weep over Jerusalem in an act of repentance. And uh, the people of God, he weeps over the people of God and he leaves his comfort. He leaves his security, those, those kind of new walls. And he leaves that surplus and he actually seeks God's good pleasure and enjoys God's good pleasure by leading people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so when David says, says this here, it's kind of a, a foreshadowing of, of what's going to happen, of what's to come, right? And so do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem because in you, God, is where I find my peace. In you, God, is where there's security. In you, God, is where there's comfort. In you, God, is where uh, we can experience good pleasure. And he says, if you, if that's the case, then in verse 19, then will you, God, so then will you delight in right sacrifices. Then will you delight in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So it's then when we have taken our, our place of security, comfort, peace, you know, what the walls represent here, in, in Jerusalem, remember Jerusalem, Zion, they, they rep- represent the place where we worship God, the assembly of God's people, how we worship um, God's dwelling place. And now for us as a church, that's here, right? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You, plural, the church, and you individually, the follower of Jesus. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We worship in spirit and in truth now. This is the church of God. This is the people of God. This is us worshiping. Church act, the word church actually means, and you may have heard this growing up, uh, you may have heard this in some circles that people say, well, the church means called out ones because it's, it's the word ekklesia in Greek and ek means out and kaleo is the verb for called. So ekklesia means called out ones. Well, no, that's, that's actually not true. Um, uh, church actually means the assembly of God's people. By saying, it, it's, it's a fallacy to say it means called out ones. It's like saying butterfly is a fly made out of butter. No, butterfly is a whole nother word. Ecclesia is a whole nother word that means the assembly, the gathering of God's people. And when we come together, we worship God in spirit and in truth. And we can do that anywhere now. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to go to uh, a church building like, like he's talking about here. But here he talks about how the walls... How, how the walls are being uh, are being built up, and and now that they're taking their security, peace, comfort in God, in what He wants, in His good pleasure, then God is delighting in their worship. And so the question for us is, and for you is, does God delight in your worship? Does God actually delight in the worship that you offer Him? 
Where are you putting your peace, security, comfort? Does God delight in your worship? And I'll say that God does not delight in your worship if you don't have truth in your inward being, right? Verse 6. Say God does not delight in your worship if you don't have wisdom in the secret heart. God doesn't delight in your worship if you don't recognize your own sinfulness like David has in the psalm. God doesn't delight in your worship if you don't recognize his abundant compassion, his mercy, his steadfast love, his joy, his gladness, his kindness. If those things aren't present, he's not going to recognize your worship. It's going to be back up to verses 16 and 17 where he says, I don't delight in that. I don't want that. It's not genuine. You're not experiencing what, I've, what I'm trying to give you. You're trying to stay over there, over there in, your, in your darkness, in your death, and I'm giving you life. You're saying you don't, you don't want it. And, and so God is saying, no, come and delight, delight in this. So if you have truth, if you have wisdom, if you're experiencing these things of God, you do delight in that. Uh, sorry, God will delight in your worship. And I started asking this question for us as a church, as an assembly of God, as a people of God across this city. I started asking this a few years ago. God, do you actually delight in our worship? Do we need to repent as a church? So we've been talking about, we have talked about some individual repentance. You know, you got your, your stuff and your baggage and your sins and all that. Um, but as a church, as a people of God, as the church, do we need to repent? What repentance do we have to, do, do we need to experience from God? What are we not seeing? Like how, how far off are we as, a, as the church here, specifically in the West? Like how far off are we from what God actually wants from us? Like, are we steeped in religious rituals? Are we just following um, the ways of this world, right? Are we just offering sacrifices? Because that's all we know how to do, and it's all that we were taught to do. So we go to church, and we pay our tithes and offerings sometimes. We pray sometimes. We, you know... The Bible says to pray without ceasing. So, literally, you should be praying all the time. And you should be in a constant conversation with the Father. And those, are, and those are just some examples of our religious rituals and things we do. I know I serve the poor here and there. You know, once a year around Christmas or Thanksgiving, I, I give a little bit extra for food for the poor. Guys... Those are just sacrifices and offerings that the Lord is not delighting in. Because it's not about our whole life. It's not a holistic repentance. It's something to mark off your checklist. It's something that you do to make yourself feel better. And God is saying, no, there's something much better for you out there. There's an abundant life. There's a fullness you can actually experience with the people of God. And so much of our faith is so individual where we just um, say, well, I'm going to do these things and fulfill these things on my own. Now, guys, like it was meant to be lived in community with other people experiencing this together. So I started asking that for a church. I started asking, like, what's going on here, God? What do we need to repent from? 
show me, show us how, how we need to do that. And 2 Corinthians 7 is a huge verse in that. It says, for godly grief produces, so godly grief, right? Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. There is a worldly grief and there's a godly grief. And so as a church, I started saying, in a godly grief, now it wasn't leading to death, but was leading to a new way of living. That's what salvation is. Now it was leading to a new way of life as the church. What do you want us to repent from? What's, what are just the religious rituals here that may be innocuous, but also may be detrimental to us actually following Jesus, actually living out the Great Commission, actually making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, which is the church. What is actually? And see, if that's actually there, we don't have to say the church is ecclesia called out ones, because the church, that's just who we are. It's just naturally, we don't have to make a case for it from the word. It's who we are. We're partnering with God in the mission of God. And, and so for us as a church over the past two years now, uh, we have said, we've, we've been in this state of godly grief to produce life and renewal in our church to actually see disciples being made. And we've seen that, guys. It's been amazing. I know it's been hard. It's been COVID. It's been, uh, there's, been, there's been change. It's been hard. We're trying to figure out how to be disciples and how to live on mission for Jesus. But it's been an adventure. It's been beautiful. We've seen more people sharing their faith with others. We've seen more, we've seen more people living on mission in their neighborhoods. We've seen more people making new connections. We've seen more people invite people to church gathering and them come to it. We've seen more people lead people to faith. We've seen people lead people to faith that have never done that ever in their life before. And they've been Christians for decades. And that's happening because we've heard from the Lord what you want us to do. We've repented from things. Uh, we've experienced God's fullness of repentance, and he's pushing us in a direction that we would have never foresaw. We would have never done on our own. We would have never decentralized on our own. It's only God. We would have never done what we're doing the past two years in R3 on our own. It's because we're trying to hear God and obey him. And, uh, and he's leading us into life, into abundance. We're actually worshiping uh, in spirit, and in truth, we're actually building into the kingdom. We're actually seeing our discipleship destinies fulfilled. We're actually influencing society. And our church looks different because of it. That's what I mean when I say when kingdom disciples engage society, a certain type of church arises out of that. And that's where we are right now. Here's, here's what's really cool. I read this. So I'm gonna, we're going to put a long quote up there somehow um, on the screen. And I read this quote recently, and it was written back in 2020 by a guy named Kerry Newhoff, who is a leadership um, guy. He used to be a pastor um, here in Canada, and, um, or used to lead a church here in Canada. Um, and, uh, and so this long quote, I'm going to read this quote for us, because he, I read this recently. He had written this uh, a year and a half ago. And, and so this is just affirmation for us. This will show us, uh, this is just going to confirm what God's doing in us. He says this. He says, in the future, church leaders will see themselves more as equippers. 
So not the ones who are doing all the ministry, but the ones who are equipping others for ministry. Now, they're also doing ministry, the church leaders are, but they're equipping others. This is Ephesians 4. Right? It's how we should have seen ourselves all along. So church leaders will see themselves more as equippers, helping people bring their faith more deeply into where? Into the homes, workplace, or neighborhoods, and workplaces. This could mean that church leaders will help facilitate decentralized gatherings of 10 to 50 people who gather where? In homes, backyards, restaurants, or other places to watch, support, and fuel their ministry. Number second bullet point. Also, this could mean that church leaders will help equip parents to equip their kids. Guys, is this looking familiar at all? Like, that first bullet point, that's who we are. That second bullet point, that's who we are too. That's Kid City. We're equipping parents to disciple their kids rather than us discipling that just us discipling your kids, right? We're trying to equip parents to do this. We're trying to equip the entire church to, to equip the next generation. Bullet point three, church members get involved in causes in their local community to make a difference. That was already happening. We've been doing that for years. That's how our church started. That's the new common, all right? Fourth bullet point, give people the tools and skills people need to integrate and live out their faith at work. All of this has been the church's theology for decades, even centuries. But functionally, it just hasn't been the practice. That's what we needed to repent from. That's the repentance. And it was, like we said it, cognitively we believed it, but it wasn't our transformative way of living. It wasn't our practice. Our church things were built to do church things, not kingdom things. Our, our church traditions were some of them were traditions of men, not, not actually traditions of God. So he says here, most churches have built their ministry around the need, this is one of those things, to attend a physical building. COVID has called it, guys, when Jesus says this in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, she says, hey, you guys worship there, we worship there. And Jesus says, well, there's going to come a day when you don't worship at at either of those places, but you worship in spirit and in truth. And then today we're still like, oh, I go here to worship. I go, I go to the church. I go to that church. You're going to worship. No, you are the church where you're at. And, and, he's, and he says, COVID's called it out. Now, unfortunately, most churches are just going back to what they knew before instead of doing what we're doing and saying, God, we want whatever you want. Here, we were... We were this way, we're going this direction. It was going great, God, but we want what you want, and we're before you in repentance. So take what we have and you form and you shape it. And and we want to and we want to try to help change the church in Canada to do the same. Instead of just going back to what we already knew. Because you're a God who we cannot ever exhaust the depths of your knowledge and your wisdom. Oh. So how do we think we have church figured out? And this was all an opening of ourselves up to this. And this last part, he says, Christians do need to gather, but they can gather and mobilize beyond church buildings. And leaders who realize this early will have more Christians to mobilize than leaders who don't. I agree and disagree with that last part because, and I'm going to tell you why. Because one, I'm like, wow, great affirmation. We realized it back in 2019. So we realized it before the pandemic. We realized it earlier. The pandemic catalyzed that for us. 
he's writing this. So we're like, whoa, okay, I think we're on the right track. We already knew that with God. This is just affirmation from that God's speaking this thing to somebody else too. Um, and we're not just, just like off the, off the path here. So it's affirmation that we've heard God correctly. Um, but he's, he also says here that they'll have more Christians to mobilize and leaders who don't. And maybe that's, that, that could be true, but that's not what we're after. Guys, we've never been a church who's after Christians, trying to get Christians to come to our church. That's happened. And a lot of you guys, that's, that's happened. Um, but uh, Adam has, has kind of cemented this phrase for, for our church over the past two years, that the hope is in the harvest. The hope is in the harvest, guys. Like we, can, we, can, we can spend the next however many years it takes to um, take a Christian who's steeped in religious rituals and their own tradition and try to show them the way. Or we can take someone from the harvest who has, no, who has none of that and show them the way from scratch. And so it's not like we're going to reject Christians that, that come along our way because um, we want them to be revived as well. Revival has to happen in both settings in the harvest and in those, those sleepy Christians who just need to be woken up, right? It's Romans 13. It's besides this, you know the time. The time has come to awake from your sleep because salvation is nearer to us today than when we first believed. So cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, right? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, it, so Christians are benefiting from that as well, but the hope is in the harvest. The hope is in those who need something different, who have seen the church and said, no, nah, I don't want that. They're, in, they're into their own thing. They don't care about me. And so for us, repenting of that was key. And even though we, I guess, my family moved to a new country, a new city to reach the harvest, but the church things just, just um, distract and take away from that so much. And so the past two years, we've said, God, open-handedly, help us reimagine church. Help us reimagine what the people of God look like when they gather together. Help us reimagine what the people of God look like in their neighborhoods. Help us release the church and give permission to the church to be the church, to be the people of God, where you place them, where they're at. Instead of saying, come to our thing at our time to do what we want. That's what the church has been. And we said, no, we got to repent from that. Because God, we want your will to be done. We delight in your will. We want, we want to delight ourselves in you, God. And guys, I think if we do this, it's going to change the fabric of what the church looks like in our city, in the GTA, in our nation. The church has been dying for decades here in Canada. It's dying in the States. It's, it's dead in Europe. And we have a chance to revive it. And the Lord is calling us to do that. The Lord is calling us alongside him to do that. And so if we can be kingdom disciples who engage society, we're going to see that type of church arise. You know, the, the book of life is all over the scriptures. It's mentioned in so many different places in the scriptures. And particularly in Revelation, it talks about your names being written in the Lamb's book of life. And I used to think it was just a ledger, right? It was just a big book 
with with certain names written in it. You know, it would have it would have Adam Truax. You know, it would have Joycelyn Wong. You know, it would have Jeff Zhang. It would just be these names written written, written in, right? Miriam Lung. You know, it would just be names, and that's it. But the more I've looked at that passage, the more I wonder, I don't know, but the more I wonder if that book of life is not just talking about our names, but it's talking about our stories. Just like Abraham and his story of faith and how he learned who God was and God shared that with us. Just like Moses and his story of 40 years in Egypt and 40 years in the wilderness and uh, 40 years with, with um, Jethro and all that. And, and it shows us his story. Just like the story of Peter who was this bumbling fisherman, hothead, who uh, became the catalyst for the early church. Just like Paul who was this, this religious zealot of a person who was, who was a Pharisee and gave everything for Jesus. And you see the story of his life. And I wonder if the Lamb's Book of Life is your story is written in there. Or the story of Trinity Life is written in there. My story is written in there. And it doesn't just say my name. It talks about the entire story, my entire kingdom identity, your entire discipleship destiny, how, how you influence society, and how you were part of a church that arose out of that. And so I invite you into that story. If you're not part of an R3, that's R3. That's your invitation into the story. If you're part of an R3, guys, your story can be so much bigger than you. It can be so much greater than what it is now. God has so much more planned for you. We can't even imagine what he has. Guys, when Missy and I stepped out in faith, quit our jobs, left our families, tried to raise a bunch of money, but we're we're unsuccessful, and stepped out with not a lot of money at all, like like it was fishes and loaves, and we offered our fishes and loaves to God, and we said, you take this and you do with it what you want. When that happened, I could have never imagined what God would have done with that. What I had imagined was so, it it just pales in comparison to what has actually happened, what God has actually done in these past nine years. It's been, it's been amazing. It's it's been hard. It's been beautiful. It's been, it's been um, filled with tribulations and trials. It's been joy-filled. It's been this adventure with Jesus, and I want that for each of you. Because if you're part of Trinity Life, this body of Christ, this household of God, this family of God, this, this um, assembly of God's people, it's going to be like that. We're always going to be living that adventure. We're always going to be saying, God, you show us the way, for we delight in your will. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this beautiful psalm. Thank you for helping us to see it, understand it in a different way. And may it just shape our church into 2022 as we seek to be revived and to revive those around us, our communities, our our relationships, um, our city for your glory. So may we just 
continue to learn how to be kingdom disciples who engage society, because out of that is going to arise a church that I believe you've said to us is going to change the face of what the church looks like here in the GTA and in Canada. Pray this in your name. Amen.